Hello. William Rogers. Yes, it is. This is Jay Michaels. Well, hi, Jay. How are you? Very well. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> How are you? Welcome to New York. I know you just flew in yesterday, and boy, your arms tired. <laughs> they are. Yes, it's quite a quite a flap to get here. Indeed. Congratulations! Your show is in the Dream Up Festival at Theater for the New City, and quite a show it is. Oh my gosh! Reading everything about it, I'm like I'm like scared of it. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, these characters, these this plumber that's a hitman, and the, this paralyzed. Uh, uh, Acrobat, and oh my gosh! Uh, uh, tell our audience about you as an author, and tell us about the show. Dangerous to dance with. Just that title alone. <laughs> well, actually, you know, it's probably not as dark as it seems. <laughs> um, there are a lot of there's a lot of nuance in these characters, and they're not um, they're not depressing. At least not all the time, because they do have quite a bit of matter, and like I say, there's nuance. So there's there's light and shade. I think in general, any any good piece of art has to have variety, and it has to have light and shade. And that's what I tried to achieve with this. I've been writing uh, theater since the um, early part of, I guess, two thousand and two or three. I've uh, written four full-length plays and a couple of uh, one-act, one-hour-length plays, some ten-minute plays. I've also written the book and lyrics for a musical. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've, I've been sort of busy with this, and I'm just finishing my first novel now. It should be finished by the end of the year. It's one of those things I've been working on for a while, and I keep telling people, yeah, real soon, real soon, it'll be done, and then other stuff jumps up, and it's... Uh, Novels always are. I never hear. I never hear of someone who who says, "Oh, I just finished my novel over the weekend, and you'll love it." No, I, it, it's always been you know twenty years in the making, sort of thing. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm a member of the Dramatists uh, Guild, and every now and then, you know, we have these uh, little conventions, and uh, there are sometimes people who show up and talk about the fact that uh, they write uh, e-books, and they might write them every 16 weeks or so. Huh. And it's an amazing, amazing thing to me. And it has something to do with marketing, I guess. I'm sure. Uh, of that, I know. <laughs> so, other than that, uh, my, main, my main career, uh, through most of the time, I was, a, I was a, a teacher. I taught high school and college level, both in the United States, mostly uh, in Missouri and uh, also in Victoria and Australia. We lived in Australia for 11 years. But, wow, that's great. Uh, I was going to ask how that influenced your writing, and of course, you must have a litany of individuals from 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 as as, as close as your hometown to all the way around the world. Well, that's right, and I mean, this, this is one of the things. I mean, the more colors you have on the palette, I think, the better you know, the more opportunity you have to color. Oh, okay, completely well said. Now, you said you were a teacher. You have since retired. Yeah, I'm, I'm not teaching anymore. Oh, okay. Um, and we moved. Uh, we moved from Kansas City, where we've been living for quite a while, uh, out to San Diego, and we're really, really enjoying that. And um, it's it's been um, it's 
been quite an interesting uh, period of time the last three years we've lived out in California. So. Oh, wow, that's great. Uh, uh, I, I guess you got out of the biz because I'd say you'd be a fellow academic as we both probably shared the title of professor at some point in our lives. Oh, that's great. Mostly of So we can be guaranteed that your play is a very literate, very authentic sounding one, for sure. Well, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. One of the things that I, I think is really important in theater, since so much of it is dialogue based, is that the characters all have their own, their own voice. You know, I mean, they, they all speak uh, in the way they speak as individuals and not like everybody else, so that you can really tell the difference. Well, of course, their signature. I'm listening to an HBO series right now, the way you're describing this. G give, us, uh, give us a little bit about the, the plot line of this, because these are very fascinating characters coming together in an old farmhouse. What's, uh, what's the reason? Well, one of the things that I, I, I love about theater is that you're able to sometimes intensify um, the emotions and the feelings and everything if you put some very disparate sorts of characters into a very small place. Um, you know, it, it's sort of like what happens with gunpowder. If you just spread some gunpowder on the sidewalk and light it, it goes, it doesn't do much. But if you put it in a small enclosed container, it explodes. Uh -huh. And so, and so what I'm, what I'm looking for is not necessarily an explosion, but something that, that really revs up that, that emotion of who these people are. Essentially, this uh, play, the, the, it's about a playwright who's now getting older. He's uh, a character who's had quite an interesting and adventurous life. He's uh, hunted big game and stuff all over the world. Kind of a Hemingway, I guess, sort of a character. I, I was going to say that, yes. He brags about his, his strength. His, his, he loved, when he was a, a young guy, he loved to fight. And, uh, also, he got involved when he lived in France for a period of time in a peculiar sport they call bull jumping or bull dancing. It actually originated on the island of Crete when, as he says, Athens was just a dusty town way back in the primordial mists of time. Huh. And uh, in this, it was both uh, a sport but also kind of a fertility rite. They would have bulls 
run at them, and they would they would do acrobatics. They'd jump over the top of the ball. And he has a Spanish fighting ball in his uh, in his pasture, and he doesn't do this because now as, as an older man, uh, but he's uh, he, he really loves this, this idea of, of adventure and all that sort of thing, which he's sort of getting past now. Uh, and um, but and he's been a successful playwright, but unfortunately, because of his irascible character, his, his inability to get along with people. And the fact that there was a rumor that he may have murdered a critic for a bad review. As so many playwrights want to do, yes. Well, it was fun to write that part. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that he points out is he hasn't had a bad review since, but (laughs) nobody nobody really wants to hire him or put his stuff on, on, on stage anymore, even though he's writing probably better than ever. So he's moved out to a farm that his mother bought about 40 years before, and he allows artists and actors and acrobats and people like that who need a hermitage, a little place to, you know, find as a point of refuge, to come and live with him. He's got two people there now. One is his niece, who's an artist. But uh, she had some, some problems uh, at her art school in France and, and sort of wanted to withdraw from active life. And so she's come down to live on the farm where they apparently have good clay for her pottery, but she's not doing much anymore. Mm-hmm. And then there's this uh, acrobat who actually was injured jumping over the playwright's ball. He got drunk oh, and he was trying to impress the playwright's daughter. And he did pretty well a couple of times, and then he got stepped on. So, wow. So those are the only two people who are there now, although he's, the playwrights often had more people um, who the local community looks at as being really strange people. They're not typical of the people who live in the area. Right, right. So these people are both there. Uh, in keeping with this kind of irascible character, the playwright has an ongoing feud with his daughter, who's a, a beautiful lady who lives in New York and um, who said something bad about him to a tabloid. And as a result of that, the playwright decided to write her out of his trust, which would be quite large because his mother was also rich. And uh, as a result of that, um, she is supposed to be coming down to visit with her boyfriend, who she's going to marry, her fiancé, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly a plumber from New Jersey. But the playwright gets it into his mind that they're actually coming down to bump him off before he can sign the, uh, uh, before he can change the, the trust. So that's that's essentially the thrust of it. Hence that enigmatic line that you have in all the promotion, uh, a plumber who may also be a hitman. Yeah, we don't know that for sure. <laughs> oh, that's great. This, sound, this sounds really deep, and, and I could see the layers just listening to you you talk about it. Here's this adventurer who can't adventure anymore. So he has this right. bull here, and essentially the bull is like this ad- the, the adventure itself, and he's putting people in front of them so he can vicariously uh, uh, watch them dance around this bull, watch them have their own adventures. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably that, that, that's, that's right. And I mean, the other thing is that he's got a farmer who rents his land, who has a... Uh, a contract with people for growing cucumbers as they make into pickles. So the <laughs> farmer continually calls himself a pickle farmer. 
But he has to have his new lease signed, uh, like by noon tomorrow type of deal, or else he's going to lose his contract. Now, as I said, he's a he's an immigrant, and he was kind of made fun of as a kid. And as a result of that, all he wanted more than anything else was to be successful and to have something to hand down to his children. He's been wildly successful. He's probably the richest guy in the county. He doesn't really need the pickle contract anymore. But the playwright likes to manipulate people like he manipulates characters in his plays. Right. And as a result of that, he's playing with this guy, and he's putting off signing the contract to kind of jerk his chain. And the um, the farmer is becoming more and more paranoid, and he thinks he's going to be living back in that broke-down shack by the county trench if Harris doesn't sign, that's the playwright doesn't mm-hmm. sign the contract. And, um, you know, so in a way, every character in the show has some kind of a major problem they're dealing with that's probably more self-inflicted and because of their own self-deception than reality. This guy doesn't really need that contract, but in his mind he does, and he's also upset because his two sons are probably not capable of carrying on what he's built for them. So, you know, I mean, it's... uh, it's an interesting plot line. This poor farmer uh, is being sort of tormented, but um, he has his own issues. He, he, he doesn't really need the contract, but he's convinced himself that he does. So he's made himself vulnerable to the machinations of this uh, manipulative playwright. That's really interesting. It's sort of like, <clears throat> I, I take it back, or maybe it's like this is another layer. It's not so much that the bull is the adventure. They're all the bulls, and he is now having, he's now trying to dance over them, even though he's not, even though the, the playwright's not the adventurer anymore. He's now taunting these these bulls, these human bulls, to to charge at him. Oh, yeah, wow. That's, 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 that's very well put. I hadn't quite thought of it quite in those terms, but yes, that's that's right. You know, that's one of the interesting things, though, when you write. You think you're writing something that you understand and that you're trying to communicate, and then you talk to audience members afterwards, and I guess it's the same with novels or any piece of art, is that people interpret it in their own way based on their own experience. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, one of the great things about it is trying to, you know, talk to people afterwards and finding out what they got out of it and seeing sometimes they got things out of it that you didn't expect. Well, I, I, I always say that there's there's no such thing as accidents, uh, that there's something subliminal in every playwright as they're, as they're putting their, their works together, that little bit of autobiography, that tiny bit of some experience they've had somewhere, so, so you can almost see the math that goes on in their head. Uh, uh, conversely, Orson Welles used to say a fine film is all made of happy accidents. So I guess that's the same thing. Suddenly, suddenly something connects that you didn't even realize it would. This sounds like such a fascinating piece. Now, you, now, uh, this is not your first play in New York? No, no. Uh, I had uh, a play a couple of years ago in the Venus Adonis Festival ah. that uh, our current director, Gerald Benderton, also directed. It was called Caldwell's Bomb. And it's a dark comedy about a militia group in Southwest Missouri. Okay. Um, 
And like, like Randall, like, like Randall P. McMurphy said in One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest, you got to laugh, especially when things ain't funny. Well, he, he put it best, and yes, thank you for quoting him on that. I was going to say, wow, you have these, these really deep, dark characters, and yet you just want to laugh at what's going on, which I think is amazing, because that's, that's, that's how we can describe the world, especially these days. Well, you know, I was asked uh, in, in southwest Missouri, in Kansas City, when we first put on Caldwell's bomb, I was, I was asked, uh, you know, about how you could make a dark comedy out of one of these militia groups who are pretty, you know, pretty dangerous and, and pretty diabolical in a lot of ways. And, you know, that was my point, is they're all human beings. Everybody's, you know, living life as best they can. And, you know, it's just, it, it's a situation in which people find themselves and you need to... Uh, you need to laugh about some of these things from time to time because otherwise you take things too seriously and they become real menacing. Well, we, we've given ourselves a, a, a set of rules as human beings that is almost un, unable to be met properly. So, so in our attempt to simply be, you know, sentient beings, you know, we're going to screw up right and left and either we're going to chastise everyone or we're just going to have a good laugh over it. And, and it looks like right. you're taking the latter quite beautifully. Well, I mean, I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to do a balance. I'm not trying to trivialize anyone. And I'm not trying to, you know, defang the snakes. But I think it is important to be able to look at so much of what happens to us, I think, is based on our own self-deceptions. <laughs> and that's basically the kind of thing that I've really tried to, you know, bring to the forefront in Dangerous to Dance With, is that so much of what people are motivated by probably not realistic but in their own minds their subjectivities that that's that's what they see there you go there's that there's that set of rules that that we spend our lives screwing up um right well like the farmer the farmer spends his whole life saying when i was a kid the one thing that got me through is i promised myself that someday i'd show him someday i'd show him all and he gets really really rich and at one point, one of the characters says to him, well, you've done that. Now you're the richest man in the county. And, you know, the, the idea that living well is the best revenge. And like he says, not, not around here, it ain't. Huh. You know, the, more, the better you do, the more they hate your gut. Oh, that's great. So you, you're, you're the student of human nature on that. And you're even saying that, that no matter how much you succeed, there's always going to be some place that you didn't. And so you're constantly uh, going toward it. Uh, and that one flaw, that one flaw, yep. or that one problem is yep. what you tend to focus on instead of all the stuff that went right. Then by the same token, I remember the reading that when they made Persian carpets and things, they wanted to make some kind of a flaw. They had to have some kind of a little flaw in it so they didn't challenge God. They didn't challenge Allah. You know, that somewhere along the line, they weren't trying for absolute perfection. But the problem is, when you have one little thing wrong with you, um, the, the thing's not perfect, we tend to obsess on that one issue that we see is not being perfect. Oh, of course. It may not even be something that anybody else notices. Oh, of course. I, I get such a kick out of it. Whenever I visit a colleague or something in a performance, they'll always come running over to me and say, did you notice where I screwed up? 
And I'm like, on what? I don't know the script. I've never been to a rehearsal. How do I know you screwed up? In their mind, they think the whole world has seen what they've seen. Exactly. Wow. And, and it becomes, that becomes huge. Yep. And you have put all of these, these Persian rugs with that one thread out of place into a barn. And, and you said, okay, go <laughs> dance over this charging bull. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, yours is a play to see. Yours is surely a great piece to see. Uh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Bill, thank you so much for chatting with me. I, I wish you all the best. May this be yet another, not the last, not the first, but this another triumph for you here in New York, and may we have a chance to chat many more times as many more of these really dark, scary comedies that you churn out uh, uh, make it to, to, to the Big Apple. Uh, welcome, enjoy the run, enjoy everything about it, and, and I look forward to hearing wonderful things about it and you. Thank you so much. Well, thanks. It's, good. it's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Same here. Ciao. Bye.